Welcome to another edition of the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 46. Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast, where it's all about the business side of gaming and how to take your local game store to the next level of success. Whether you're a gamer with aspirations of owning your own store or an entrepreneur who wants to grow their existing business, on this show you'll discover the strategies, tactics, and systems that make the best game stores in North America so successful. The Maniverse Podcast is made possible by listeners and viewers like you. Help support the show and the creation of more, better content by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast. As a patron, you get early access to the show before anyone else, shoutouts on upcoming episodes, and access to a weekly Google Hangout with me where you can ask questions about building a game store, creating the podcast, or whatever you like. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Join the Maniverse community by becoming a patron today. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and I have with me today my two co-hosts and a special guest. So one at a time, we have John Coviello on the left. Hi, guys. I'm John Coviello. I'm the owner of the Little Shop of Magic in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, John. And we have Wayne Middlestead. Hey, guys. I'm the owner of Dealing Grounds in Toronto, Canada. And our special guest, Gary Sproul. Hello, everyone. I'm the owner of the Haunted Game Cafe in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Gary. Sweet. How are you doing, Gary? Very good. Thanks for asking me on. No problem. All right. So uh, today we are going to talk about a, a recent trend. For Gary, it's not so recent, but it's a recent trend in the local game store business. And it's been to offer more and better uh, food and beverage options to customers. So we've seen the rise of the game cafe model in the last few years. And Actually, uh, one opened up in my city just last year that's been doing like fantastic compared to the rest of the stores for, for its first year kind of growth thing. And uh, they can be as simple as something like uh, creating a sandwich bar, you know, just offering a few uh, packaged meals, or it can be as complicated as an espresso machine and ha- having a liquor license, depending on what you're going for. So today we're going to dive into building a uh, game cafe from the ground up. So what the costs look like, the obstacles, the advantages, you know, try and uh, really pick apart the whole thing. So, uh, Gary, being our special guest expert, how long have you uh, had the Haunted Game Cafe? Well, we opened in 2009, which makes us one of the oldest game cafes in North America. There was maybe one or two open before we did. Uh, so it was a very, very new concept, very untested. And uh, a lot of people told me that it was a waste of money, that it wasn't necessary to put in that much restaurant equipment. And... Uh, the, the startup costs would just be prohibitive. So let's start there. So, Archimedes. <laughs> Sorry, of course. It's okay, it's okay. Well, let's start there. How much did it, what was the upfront cost? In 2009, it's a little bit different now in 2016. Well, that, like, what does that, that kind of look like? That, that's a hard number to, to quote out because yeah. it was 2009. And remember, the recession was still going pretty strong mm-hmm. at that point. So, that was actually a, a big factor in adding in this concept to a game store because I knew that uh, the costs would be the cost of labor anyway would be much much lower than they normally would be because of the recession. So when we did um, quotes for bids for flooring and and plaster and all electricity and all that things, we had five or six contractors chomping at the bit to come in and do the job for us. Whereas nowadays you're lucky if you can get a contractor to call you back at all. They're, uh, they're super busy. 
Um, so I don't really want to give you an exact number because it, it, it really wouldn't make any difference, you know, to today's numbers. Uh, but I will say that it was, you know, tens of thousands of dollars extra added to the cost of starting the store. Um, and then there's the, the build out, which is, you know, permanent, right? You have to tear mm-hmm. up the floors and tear up the walls and all that kind of thing. But uh, it does add significantly to the cost and to the available spaces that you can use for this kind of thing. For sure. So uh, my question is why? Sorry, I just wanted to clarify, Gary. So did you did you start? Um, and there goes Guy. Go into a cafe model. <laughs> well, you broke up a little bit there, but I'm going to assume the question is, did we start from... <laughs> as a game cafe or were we an existing store that added a cafe? So the answer is we started as this yes. concept from the original concept. Uh, it was designed to be a game cafe. Okay. Um, my business plan uh, was written with some of the uh, Asian game store cafes that were uh, just becoming known at that time. They were getting very popular in Korea. Uh, I started going to the Gamma Trade Show and talking to game store owners like John and uh, finding out about the real problem of game stores is the, the huge amount of space where no money is being generated, right? We have these large game spaces that really don't generate any money. So the obvious concept is sell people something while they're sitting there. And a cafe seemed to be the obvious choice. I was super into coffee. I still am. So to me, that sounded like an easy ad because I was very familiar with coffee and I knew what it required. Sure. And if I can interject something, we're at a stage now where we are that store that used to be a game store and is now um, bringing in that part. And he's correct. It's very hard to define exactly in metrics what that game space does for you. Is it actually generating revenue or not? A cafe is sort of like a way to kind of measure that. Hey, they're in there, they're sitting down, and they've consumed X amount of things while they were sitting there, right? So... Um, but he is 100% correct. That's uh, something I was curious about, Gary. So how do you balance that out? Because for us, I mean, this whole idea of bringing in a higher level of food, um, for me, it's been something since like day one. I'm Italian. I love food. Um, I love, incidentally, coffee too, right? So it always seemed like a perfect marriage. But when the store started in 94 for us, it wasn't even, there was no way. One, the funding for us wasn't there, right? There was just no way to even get close within the ballpark. And two, the amount of space and, and, and required would seem staggering. And then finally for us, it was like, are our customers sort of chic enough to want to drink uh, espresso in our store? Or are they just going to go next door to McDonald's and come in with a cup of coffee from there? You know what I mean? So it, so how do you balance that out, Gary? What- uh, it's it's definitely a challenge. The uh, the cafe part, just the the food and coffee preparation part eats up a significant amount of floor space. And again, you have to think about, you know, is what you're selling, you know, making the rent for that amount of floor space. Um, I'll be honest, when we started up, it was a guess. We just kind of figured, you know, we'll, we'll make this the kitchen area as minimal as possible. Uh, we'll start uh, slow with food and beverage and ramp our way up. And that process worked really well. So we could figure out exactly what our market would, would bear, uh, how fancy a level of stuff they would stand for. 
um, and uh, how much space was actually required for to do the things that we wanted to do. So when we started out, the amount of space that we had seemed gigantic. It just seemed like a huge amount of space. Our bar is uh, 15, 17 feet long by about nine feet wide. So that's a huge amount of space that you know, we're not, there are no games in, right? We can't make any money out of that space. So the food and the beverage has to cover that space. Now that space is tiny. <laughs> we've added so much and we've added so much labor that, that we're you know, having to squeeze past each other to get all the drinks out and all the food out on time. So, and then there's the, of course, the, what we're discovering is the dry goods storage, the separate area for the chemicals. So uh, apart from what you're talking about, which is the actual operations, you have logistics that eats up floor space. I mean, a lot of it. There's uh, the three basin sink, the water heater. These are all things that got to go somewhere. And uh, that's floor space. Right. There is a lot of floor space that is eaten up other than just the basic counters, which you would expect. There's a large water heater that the health department demands that you have because they assume you're washing dishes. We have an industrial dishwasher, but the health department still makes you have that three compartment sink no matter what. Um, there is a lot of dry goods storage, uh, but I think a lot of game stores deal with that some now because most of our storage, I think, is bottled beverages. Sure. which a lot of game stores are going are gonna to do now. But yes, there is a lot of storage for uh, chips, and we have a large freezer. We have two refrigerators, uh, ice machines, and, and a, a lot of industrial equipment. Okay, so did you start out, uh, or you said you started out relatively small compared to what you have like today. So what is your, like, how big is your store? What, what does it look like now? Uh, it is very small. We uh, started very conservatively. We're in a 1,500-foot space, so 1,500, which is very small for a game store and honestly ridiculously small for a game cafe where a lot of the footprint is heaten up by a cafe. Um, but this was my first experience in retail, so I wanted to make sure that I was as conservative as I could be and yet still be successful. Um, I knew from thanks to people like John that um, – Fixed costs like rent are is something that is pretty much out of your control. You can control a lot of other things, but once you sign that lease, that's one of the things that you have to deal with. So we started pretty conservatively. We started with uh, espresso drinks and smoothies and uh, cold drinks and things like that, and that went extremely well. We went. We wanted to go deep enough into food and beverage that we looked like a cafe. We didn't want to look like, you know, the snack bar at the bowling alley, right? We wanted to be a little more upscale than that. Our goal was to look something like a, like a Barnes and Noble cafe that, you know, when people walk in, they don't see, you know, a game store with a little bit of food. They, they want to, you want to get that experience of walking into a cafe. Oh, and they also have all this wonderful game product and the seating area and that. So we wanted to go deep enough in to get that look and feel, but not so deep in that we were committed to a huge menu, um, making food for, for people that we weren't quite sure our customers were, were going to go for, you know, do they want high end food and pastries and things like that. So starting conservatives allowed us to experiment with some of the things that some worked and some didn't. So when you started Gary, 
I guess you guessed at your target audience, right? And you, you, you sort of made a determination. But would you say that you were trying to shoot for uh, what, what I call the mundanes? They were coming in for a cup of coffee and then you were going to expose them to games or vice versa? You were trying to entertain um, and feed gamers who are coming in looking for games and, uh, or, or is it 50-50 and see what happens? The original business plan was for us to target casual gamers. Uh, we were not going to specifically target out uh, what we call hardcore gamers or hobby gamers. Uh, we really believe that um, the casual gamers were being underserved. There was not really a place for them to go and just casually play a few games um, to learn about new games, to get introduced to the hobby. So our original plan was to was get the casual market and that worked fairly well uh and then the, of course the hardcore gamers found us fell in love <laughs> and uh, now a good part of our business is is serious hardcore gamers do you think that was a, a local phenomenon for you like I, is that something unique hmm. to fort collins or is this would this work pretty much anywhere I think this is going to work anywhere that has a uh, the right demographics for it. I think you really need to do some demographic work if you're going to do this kind of thing. Uh, you have to look at um, what, not just what education level, but what types of um, professionals are in your area. Do you have a lot of technical scientific people, um, a lot of people that are in a certain income bracket, but not too high because really rich people have other hobbies other than gaming. So you don't want to get in a really rich neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, so it can work anywhere. You just have to, you know, as with all businesses, figure out exactly what your target market is. How did you figure that out? Or like when you, when you took a stab at it the first time, how did you kind of like narrow that down? I spent a lot of time and uh, quite a bit of money doing demographic research. Um, I paid for a consultant to do research for me uh, who had quite a bit of access. I went to librarians who are experts in this kind of thing. Um, there's a tremendous amount of information online. Um, Microsoft made a product, I don't know whether they still make it, but that would actually show you maps and demographic information of population density, ages, education levels, what type of you know, professions people were in. So there's a tremendous amount of information out there, but it, it, it takes a little searching to get to it. Yeah, and, and I think that software is still available because I looked at it too, and um, we paid for it a few years ago, and it was it was valuable. Um, other sources of information are, you know, your Chamber of Commerce, and but, yeah. but yes, without a doubt, uh, most places where you go rent at will have demographics for you of the areas around there. Now, of course, they're trying to sell you the space, so you know you, you always want to verify those that data that they're giving you. But for the most part, it's it's pretty legit, uh, unless you're a shady landlord. I would try your local library. Uh, if you have a good local library, chances are that somebody on staff there is going to have uh, some good skills in doing this kind of research. Sure. Um, I, I just want to put in something. When Gary said 2009, it seems like ages ago. I understand that, but. Uh, the reality is, yes, it's a relatively newer phenomenon, and it's something that's trending right now. What I found when it comes to cost, startup costs, is that a lot of people in general don't have any idea what startup costs really are. So moving away from things like uh, the cafe part itself, which I am now discovering the ins and outs, and when I 
fortunately, my wife is a chef, so through the the years together, we've I've kind of gone. Wait, how much for a fridge, right? Um, so I, I have a ballpark idea, and then I attended Gary's seminar at GTS and got more of an idea. But realistically speaking, it, the general public doesn't have a concept what some of these cost. When I say that a, a single fixture cost four to two thousand dollars, and you're going to put maybe I don't know fifty board games on there, right? And you're going to need ten of these. Or you want to put a sign outside, and, and less than five thousand dollars doesn't get you anything. Most of the people I talk to, just their jaw drops. Right, these people that are thinking about getting in. So, start doing some research because whatever you're thinking, it's a lot higher probably. Is what I'm trying to get at. And um, I mean, I looked at Kickstarters for starting cafes with ten thousand dollars asking, and I'm I I don't know what you would do with that. So, general caveat is. Do some research and then understand what we talk about when we say the price varies, but it's a lot higher than what most laymen think it's going to be. John's absolutely right. Uh, even if you think, well, I'll get all used equipment, I'll uh, I'll have my buddy do all the construction for me, things like that. You're you're still talking tens of thousands of dollars. My espresso machine is ten thousand dollars, and that's one machine. So, I mean. Industrial commercial equipment that the health department wants to see is expensive, and there's a reason for it. It's easy to be cleaned. It's uh, they're super reliable. They're able to handle the volume of things that you're doing. If you use trying to use a just a home machine and some of this stuff, that they're going to break down. They they just can't handle that kind of volume. Well, I guess the good news is if you're not doing volume, then you don't have to worry about breaking it down. The bad news is you're not doing volume. So, I mean, that's it's a double-edged sword. See, now this is this is exactly, well, one of the big reasons why I didn't go the board game cafe route. I opened in 2004. Um, okay, I'll try again. So in 2004, when I opened up, uh, Dueling Grounds was a playoff of Coffee Grounds, and my intention was to start uh, a, uh, a cafe game store business. And from the sounds of what you guys were saying, I would have been the first one in North America. But of course, it was super prohibitive, all the costs that were involved. Uh, but it was also, you know, the health department and all these rules you'd have to abide by. And I just wanted to focus on one thing because I thought that was going to be important to succeeding instead of trying to spread myself too thin. And, and I already had no experience in retail. So I didn't want to add my no experience in retail with no experience running a cafe. Um, and uh, then uh, 2010 is when uh, the first board game cafe opened in Toronto. They're called Snakes and Lattes. And um, they got their idea from Paris. Uh, they, they came from France and um, they had built up their board game collection for years before they started. And basically their model was to have this huge, huge wall of board games, hundreds and hundreds, uh, and then a little cafe at the front. And it was an immediately huge success. They had to keep expanding, and now they've got several locations in the city. And that really began the, the board game cafe boom in Toronto. So, um, but, I sorry? don't know if you've been into them, but it's, so it's like a lot of this primarily like, do they work off the rental model? In other words, you know, you, you come in, you drink the coffee, and you get, or are they driving? It's, a, it's like you pay five bucks, and you can stay as long as you want. Um, right. And they count on you. Uh, you know, making money off the drinks. Uh, and then they've started selling board games and they have the monopoly on, um, what's that game called? Um, 
Cards Against Humanity. Cards Against Humanity, yeah. They're the only location in Canada that has the product because he knows the guy, apparently. So, is it that or are they just – because we have a lot of retailers here locally who just buy it on Amazon, upcharge it, and put it on their shelves. Which, it's fine. I'm not saying it's wrong. Yeah. Right? No, I've, I've thought of doing that as well. But anyways, that's, that's sort of the story in Toronto. Um, uh, but I, I did want to speak to the point about uh, the game space. You're you're saying, Gary, that there was uh, that was not making any money. Uh, it's just an empty space where people play games. Um, I'd like to argue that, uh, like I know, for me, I have a huge customer base that they they buy where they play. They're loyal. They appreciate. We have one of the biggest game rooms in the city. Uh, we put a lot of effort into the game room, having these big oversized tables and terrain pieces for all the miniatures games. We're very miniatures focused. Um, and just recently, the most recent thing I did is I had to build a big storage unit uh, just because of I was running out of space uh, at the back of the room. And then um, I decided to divide up a big part of it into these lockers. And so now we have a wall of player lockers. And primarily, again, for these miniature players that are carrying these giant cases of miniatures, well, they can just keep their stuff at our store, lock it up, and then they don't have to bring it around anymore. And that also makes uh, some... Uh, Wives and girlfriends pretty happy too to get some of that junk out of the home. Well, not junk. Sorry, that's that's an offensive. <laughs> but to uh, them, it's junk. It's you know? not. Yes. So, so we're generating rental revenue in our game store um, for that. Uh, so there, there definitely are are ways to generate revenue. I think from and and, and honestly, I, I don't think uh, we'd have we'd probably lose over half a customer base if we didn't have a game room. You know, people, you got to give people a reason to come to your store. You run events, they come to the event, then they buy something. I mean, that, they don't always do that, but uh, it's super important, I think. Uh, so I don't want to uh, devalue the, the the space of the game room um, without having a cafe or something. That's, that's just the point I want to make there. Well, I, th I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, game stores are absolutely essential to have a community that wants to play these kind of games. And to give them a space is is really necessary. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That I, I didn't want to say that people playing in a game space are, are not contributing. They, they absolutely are. And I see it every day that people come in, grab a game off the wall, play it, and, uh, and then buy it. Uh, it absolutely happens. And I, I love our game space, and I'm expanding our game space. If I yeah. Well, and, and, you know, we also have like specific items in the game room for playing miniatures games. I mean, that takes a lot of work to have a whole giant shelving unit full of like little hills and trees and buildings. Um, and it's, it's quite a, a upfront cost as well. A lot of time and hobby time. Uh, and you can't just, you know, you can just go into a room that just has tables and chairs. Anybody can do that. But because we have a um, oh, just uh, the point I was making was just uh, I think it's also important uh, not just to have a game room of tables and chairs because, you know, anybody can do that. Um, we have shelving and shelving full of terrain pieces, little hills and trees and houses, all the accessories you need to play the game, the special play mats for X-Wing and Armada. Um, so it's important to have those accessories as well. And I mean, we have a reverse osmosis water filter taps. People can come in and and drink all the free water they want. They just need to bring in a, a, a water bottle. Um, you know, I'm a big so, believer in free water. So, <laughs> I live in a desert. Uh, we sell it, but uh, I guess I'm greedy. But back to the greedy point, I think I'm going to sit with both of the. Plus, our water is terrible. Um, 
I sit sort of in the middle. Of the I, I agree with you, Wayne, and I agree with you. Say what? Come again, Wayne? I said most of your water is going to that damn fountain. Most uh, of your yeah. water is going to that damn fountain? <laughs> <laughs> in Las Vegas? Like, they just throw their water around like... Which, which one? Uh, we, have we have several. Yeah. We have several, but yes. So, uh, um, I sort of sit in the middle because, yes, I, I 100% agree, right? We started the store in, in 94, and gaming has always been the middle of the store. We never had a separate game room. We never had that kind of situation. We've always believed that the gaming area is sort of a competitive advantage, right? Compared to the internet, they can offer that. Um, but here's where you look at things, and you look at the cafe, and you go, okay, there's a certain class... Um, I will broadly define it as a customer and more like patrons because uh, these are the people that will come into your store, um, use that play area, use your terrain, use your expertise, use all these things. And for whatever reason, don't necessarily give back to that, right? Um, it, it could be that they're financially strapped, whatever the case may be, or they just don't see the value and they feel that that should be given as free. And the cafe, in my opinion, is a little bit of more of an attempt to capitalize on that particular category of customer while serving our other customers, too, who do enjoy a cup of coffee, do enjoy having a slice of pizza while they're, um, while they're in the store, right? So... It, I agree. The game area does provide a benefit. It does provide income, but it's difficult to measure. Uh, the cafe makes it a little bit easier to go, hey, while he was here, that guy down, let's just assume you're rich enough to go after a beer and wine license or whatever, and he drank four beers, right? That's income. Or he, he went down and, and had a, you know, a pizza and, and some coffee, et cetera, et cetera. That, that is something you can measure a little bit more readily than like, well, maybe one day he'll buy an X-Wing model. In the meantime, he's coming in. He's never bought a single one from me, right? Um, so that's how I look at it. It's just an extra way to kind of monetize that space um, on top of what it's already doing. Let me just make a, a quick a point about the way that cafes um, give you a kind of unmeasurable benefit. Wayne was talking about Cards Against Humanity. We are also an authorized retailer for Cards Against Humanity. Nice. We get a lot of attention from publishers that I think a store our size normally wouldn't get. And it's because we have that game cafe atmosphere. Mm. Publishers really, really love the idea of people playing their games in a friendly cafe environment. And so we get a lot of benefits from that because we have that kind of environment. So they send us demos. They send us uh, kits for their games. Uh, we get a lot of things that a game store our size normally wouldn't get. Sure. Cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, John, you mentioned the the whole wine and beer and the liquor license and all that. Do you do that, Gary? At all? Is that part of your uh, model, or is that something you haven't uh, dabbled in? We currently do not have a liquor license, but Fort Collins is one of the cities in America that is uh, very anxious. Well, now I want to say anxious, but. Mm -hmm. They're fine with uh, giving out liquor licenses. We have a lot of breweries here. We have a lot of craft beer making here. There's a long history of beer being made in the city, so there's a lot of brew pubs in the town. So unlike a lot of places uh, around the United States where it's very, very difficult and very, very expensive to get a liquor license, it is a lot easier here. So we often consider it. Yeah, so I'm going to leave it at this. It's something that is out of your hands. 
literally no matter how much you might want it, where you decided to open up your store will make all the difference in the world whether or not you'll be able to serve adult beverages. Uh, fundamentally, uh, I'm going to say Las Vegas and leave it at that. Um, for us, it's probably a heck of a lot easier than it would be in, say, New York City. Okay, it's a, Sometimes you don't have a choice. It's literally, look, we give out X amount. We do a lottery. As much as you want to pay, as much money as you have, you may never get a liquor license. Um, you know, maybe when you're younger, you got in a little bit of trouble with the law, or whatever. And there, there are all kinds of reasons why you could be denied a liquor license, and it has a lot of times absolutely nothing to do with you. It has more to do with what kind of legislation you are under. So uh, that's definitely something you can look into. But either decide to move the store or um, open a store in a place. If you're going to go after that model, you definitely have to look at the laws first of where you're going to put that store into. Yeah, good point. So uh, why haven't you pursued it, Gary? Sure. Well, adding an alcohol um, license to your business will significantly change uh, the look and feel of your store, and I'm very concerned about that. Uh, we have a lot of high school kids that come in right after school. Uh, we have uh, a lot of parents that bring in very young kids. So I'm always wondering about um, giving a benefit to our customers, who I know a ton of our customers would want this kind of service versus changing the look and feel and, and, and alienating some of the more casual customers. Um, there's no right answer. Um, you just have to think about you know, how you're going to accommodate both sets of customers. Sure. From my standpoint, that was a big barrier for even trying it before. With the current space, there are reservable rooms and there is a patio that we can exclude access to. So it makes it a little bit easier to confine that, and it makes it so that uh, we can fall in a certain category, which is considerably cheaper, um, where basically alcohol is only served in certain locations. So it's another consideration if you're going to do that kind of thing. You have it everywhere. You have it only in certain locations because there are also issues, I believe, with the – and you might know more about this, Gary or Wayne – uh, doesn't the DCI have some very specifics about uh, alcohol being involved with any kind of sanctioning and things like that? I, I thought there was something in there, but, you know. Mm. We, we, we stopped working with a convention uh, here in town a few years back because they didn't do a very good job of separating the alcohol consumption among the, the attending publics, and it was just a little too close for comfort. I just didn't want to be associated with that. So there are some some things to worry about, about it, obviously, but anyways... Definitely a lot of risks involved. Sure. One more you have to manage for sure. Certainly, your insurance is going to go up. The uh, the liability is go up. There's a possibility your labor will go up. And yeah. John's right. There's a lot of publishers. Yeah, that, yeah. Incidentally, too, that's another way to kind of. I don't know if this is a, a biggest phenomenon or it exists elsewhere, but you can also pay people who have these sort of traveling um, business licenses, well, liquor licenses, they'll come in and set up the event for you and do your liquor, right? So you could potentially try that route. In other words, hey, you think alcohol might work for you, but this is a less expensive way to try. You bring this person in, he does a couple of catered events for you. It works out great. You start pursuing the liquor uh, license. You realize, man, your guys are just not buying beer at $5 a bottle or whatever. And you save yourself a whole bunch of money and potentially headaches, right? Um, so, Wayne, you back? Mostly. Yeah, hey, can you hear me? Yeah, you're still staggering, but. 
still staggering. Yeah. Well, uh, it sounds like you were adding on to my point, whether you heard it or not, just the idea of bringing in a keg once in a while, having a keg night and getting a license for just uh, an event for once a month or something. Yeah. So we, what I was talking about was, is I don't know if this is in Canada, they have these kind of people, but here you have services that you can engage with professionals who have these licenses that allow them to come into your place host the event, right, kind of situation, right. and basically you don't have to get that mm -hmm. license, it's already taken care of, you pay them the booze, the fee, whatever it is, and you experiment that when you see if it's worthwhile or doable for you, so. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, so, can you uh, share some of the obstacles that you've uh, run into, Gary, uh, over your, the course of your time setting up the business or in the recent times? like? adding a whole lot of uh, appliances and labor and like that, that increases your uh, chances of running into some issues, right? Well, there, there are definitely issues that uh, your average game store doesn't face. Um, the other game store owners I've talked to seem to be most concerned about the health department. Um, you go, you are going mm, to get random, know. randomly inspected by oh. a city official who has the power to come in and go, mm, you're closed. We don't like what we saw. We're shutting you down and they don't just shut down the, the food and beverage part. Yeah. They shut you they down shut doors. Yeah. So that's pretty intimidating when you're out of that particular uh, comfort zone. Um, once you start understanding a little more about the food and beverage and you understand what the health inspectors are looking for and what kinds of warning flags they particularly look for, it gets a lot easier. We get inspected maybe once a year. They come in, they look around, they make sure everything's being done right. And uh, they're done. They've got uh, they've got bigger fish to fry than a than a cafe. Mm. Um, they're looking for things that are are genuine health hazards. They're looking for, you know, raw foods that are being treated uh, the wrong way. They're looking for, you know, things that are trying to be kept warm that shouldn't be kept warm. Uh, making sure that the milk is cold and things like that. Yeah. So the health department is can be a big issue. Labor can be another one. There is definitely a, a higher labor and a specialized labor that's involved with cafe. When you're selling things retail, you once you learn how to sell the game and what the games are about and how to communicate with customers, that's the same for most games. Whereas when you're making food and drinks for people, that's a skill. You can actually do that well or do that poorly. So you have to make sure that your employees are actually paying attention all the time to what they're doing to make sure that the quality of the food that you're serving is as high as it can be. Coffee is especially vulnerable to this kind of thing. We've all had mm -hmm. lousy, lousy cups of coffee. And some grower took <laughs> a lot of pains growing this and the roaster you know, killed themselves getting it right and somebody screwed it up when they were serving it. Coffee should be delicious, but people have had so many bad cups of coffee, they think it's supposed to taste bitter, and it's not. So coffee uh, training can be a, a, a real challenge, especially if you're using an older used machine that requires more you know, hands-on expertise. So the amount of labor that you need can also be hard. Um, when Friday Night Magic rolls around and we've got you know, 30 people in line to, to get magic, and they want to sell singles, and they want to buy singles, and they want sleeves. Oh, and also I'll have a pizza and a couple of drinks and uh, that, right? So it, it can get more than a little chaotic with, uh, with that many people behind the bar 
trying to do quality work and make sure nothing gets missed. Thank you, Gary. You just feel my nightmares for the next week. By the way. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, I completely forgot about the buying and selling of singles aspect in the middle of all the other chaos, which is why we usually cut it off nine to five on Fridays. It's like after five, don't talk to us. See us after. <laughs> You can make as many rules as you like about yeah. when they're going to buy and sell, but you know someone's going to walk up to the counter two minutes before magic starts and go, can I sell these to get into the tournament? Sure, yes, or I'm of hungry. course can you I can. Sell these for the pizza? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, and that's fine. We understand, you know, people are getting off work and they rushed over as soon as they could. So you know, th these things happen. So often we'll just take the cards and, and deal with it. But you know, having your procedures is important in a game store. It's doubly important in a, in a cafe game store to make sure that you are keeping track of all the things that got ordered, making sure they're getting out in a timely manner. We actually print out things just like a restaurant and print them on receipts and then put them up on a little bar and make sure that we're going down the line and making sure that everything is getting done the way it should get done because it's 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 just ridiculously easy to forget something if you try and communicate it or you, you the, the person at the register shouts hey i need a thing and they didn't hear you so yeah your procedures are very very important yeah and i i can't imagine keeping track of disposable inventory i mean board games sit on the shelf for years hopefully not for years but they can on the, on the show yeah. yes, they can. <laughs> and uh but you know you gotta keep your food fresh right so yeah that, that sounds like a lot more work and responsibility for sure um now it's funny we um when we moved to our most recent space gosh almost seven years now um we used to let people eat food in the game room at the previous space that we're at for five years. Once we moved to this new space, we didn't have the same facilities to deal with all the garbage and waste, uh, which gets really stinky and gross and you need to put it away somewhere. Um, so we, we, we instated this policy, okay, we no, no longer allow food in the game room. We, drinks are okay, outside drinks are fine, and we sell drinks. Um, but, uh, and that was, that was unpopular. Uh, at first, a lot of some people, we lost some customers because of it, because um, they couldn't bring in their stinky McDonald's or whatever. Um, but now, with the rise of, you know, these board game cafes, we actually stand out to people who don't want to be in a game room with people eating, where the tables, you know, aren't getting, you know, sticky, and they're not smelling other people's food, and people actually come to our game room because they know they're not going to encounter food. So it's in, it, it's funny how it's sort of turned around and for us anyways. Sure. And that's a consideration for us as we're putting in this kitchen, uh, there's costs, right? So no hoods, no live burners for, for several reasons. But, uh, for example, fryers were just straight out out for the concern just because of the smell that permeates when you have a fryer in the building. It just, no matter how good your venting is and all that good stuff, you still get that weird kind of when you walk in. So fortunately enough, coffee in itself, at least to me, is pleasing. Hopefully the majority of the people that will walk in will, will find it appealing versus a negative kind of situation. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say generally people, even if they don't like coffee, they do usually enjoy the smell of coffee so you're probably safe there actually i wanted to ask you about uh your your training gary when you got started you said that like you've never really done any of this stuff you weren't experienced in this how did you 
how did you learn how to make like a, a proper espresso? Like that's not something you just like, oh, I just t- turn the handles and I press the buttons. It's, no, there's actually like an art to it. How did you do that? It is definitely a skill. It's a, uh, it's a skill that often needs to be taught. You can watch videos, uh, but really you need to have a, a, a trained uh, barista teach you what you're doing and why you're doing it. I was writing my business plan. I lived in Los Angeles and Los Angeles was having a huge third wave coffee uh, renaissance. So there were a lot of coffee shops that were doing just amazing work. Intelligentsia was a place I hung out at a lot and learned as much as I could. But I, um, I befriended a couple of baristas and I paid them as a consultant to, to teach me. And I would go in after hours and work with the machine and they would teach me exactly you know how, why coffee does what it does how humidity affects it how the grind and the tamp affects it how to how to scope how to do the milk properly um, it really is uh, something that can be learned uh, but it does take time and did you pass those skills on to your employees like were you the guy that made it happen I did all the coffee training for a good long time. Um, it's not necessary for the owner of the shop to do that. There are plenty of roasters if you want to if you want to start doing this. There are a lot of roasters that will provide that trading service for you. So if you are adding a, a cafe to your store and you're talking to coffee roasters, and you should be talking to a lot of them uh, about more than just price, about availability. Coffee is a is a product of nature. It can come in and out. It can be hard to get. It comes, comes sometimes comes from places in the world where you know the, it's hard to it's hard to ship from. So you're talking about to your roaster about cost and about uh, availability and reliability and training is one of the big things that coffee roasters should be providing to you. So coffee roasters can train your crew. I did it myself because I was so very into coffee. But we also have a policy of every employee has to be able to do everything. Now, of course, we all have specializations. Some people know more about magic. Some people know about more about miniatures. Some people are RPG experts. But I expect every employee to be able to do all of the drinks and all of the food. And you're just going to get employees that are awesome at the games and don't drink coffee and don't like it and just just don't like that kind of thing, but yet they still have to make it and they have to make it right. So one of the ways that we've got past that is to invest in higher end machines. There are more expensive espresso machines that will take some of the variables out of the system for you. Um, or they have variables like the grind that I can adjust myself and know that it's done correctly. And then the employees don't ever have to worry about it. Hmm. I'm wondering, uh, Gary, how necessary it was to your success to have like really high-end coffee instead of... Having high-end coffee, I think, was essential to our success. Um, we didn't want to do just a, a coffee station with, a, with an air pot and uh, some brewed coffee. We wanted to make sure that we were doing espresso drinks uh, that were done as well as we could do them. We do latte art on our uh, on our drinks as well. So we really are proud of our stuff and we want to show off what, what we can do. And as a result, we sell very little brewed coffee at all. We sell mostly espresso drinks and people come in because they have a desire for, for that coffee. We have tons of customers that come in just for food and beverage. 
They're not Maybe. gamers. They don't know what all those colorful boxes are, but they know they like the coffee. And, and I can point out one more thing about Gary's shop, too, the, the theme, right? Uh, your, your drinks are themed to your haunted Games Cafe, which to me was an attractant for me. I went and looked at the pictures of your place because you had that haunted part at the front of it, right? Um, so there, there's something to be said about the presentation of the drink and the, 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 the whole experience because to me, coffee is an emotional purchase, right? It, it, I, I literally, before I even taste it, I'm already getting feelings of being back home and, 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 and being in a bar in Italy and then getting that first sip in the morning kind of situation, you know? So it's, 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 it's definitely an experience on its own that adds to that whole game experience. So, you know, I, I'm definitely uh, on board with that. I, I really think that the experience is a huge, huge part of it. If you're going into this thinking, well, you know, I'll just buy a machine and, and, give people coffee, I think you're missing out on the, the most attractive part of that. And that's the, the huge value add that people are going to get from this experience. They, they, they're coming into your store to enjoy themselves and giving them something of high quality and is, is just going to make their day. Yeah, Which tantalize their taste buds of something delicious. It's well, it's the, the, environmentally conscious free water, right? I mean, that's part of I'm sure you're attracting some customers who realize you put money into providing them with something, right? So uh, it, that is important. It, it's uh, you know, and it, so if I were that, my original thought was like, man, I love Illy coffee. I should go get some distribution set up with Illy. And after listening to you, Gary at GTS, I'm like, nope, I'm gonna go talk to my local roasters, and I'm gonna be happy about that. Uh, just 100% happy about it. So. I think that's a, another interesting topic. It was like, where do you find your suppliers if you're going for food and beverage? Like, how do you locate the people that are, you know, right for you? Uh, that can definitely be a challenge if you don't already have roots in the restaurant community. Yeah. Um, finding a roaster is getting to be a lot easier. Even smaller cities are starting to have two or three roasters that are setting up shop. And the quality is just getting to be amazing. The people who are doing this are really committed to doing the best that they can. And so even small local roasters can do you a custom blend that will do exactly what you know you want your coffee to be like. You'll have to make a decision on whether you think your coffee people are more espresso people or are they more, you know, the large triple chocolate style latte people uh, because your espresso blend will change according to you know what your customers want. Finding suppliers for food is a little easier. There's usually large commercial places that will do it. Um, the problem with them, of course, is they have minimums. Um, and to make those minimums, you're like John was saying earlier, you're going to need a large amount of storage space because they made you buy you know, hundreds of dollars of stuff that you don't quite need yet. So finding them is a little easier. Finding smaller ones is definitely better. We work with a, a supplier called Barista Pro who supplies the entire region and they're just fantastic. They'll sell us uh, smaller minimums and uh, they, we can work with them directly for special orders. So if you can find a smaller supplier, they're very good. And there's tons of restaurants and, and uh, food suppliers that will do food for you, pre pre-made food uh, that you can just bring in and then unfreeze and heat. And well, I cheat. I asked the wife, uh, but uh, 
what I found was a unique resource in this town, and I don't know if it's just this town, but the customers. I mean, I have so many people that work in the casinos and the food industries over here that it's, you know, and they're passionate about this stuff. Man, oh, you gotta talk to this guy, you gotta talk to this, and then go over here, and you know, and they'll give you lists of like people I should talk to, and I'm now I'm, I'm like ten pages deep trying to get through this stuff. But uh, so I think the customers are also something to not forget about. They they know what they like, right? So. They're going to point you in the right direction, and they are in your store. So, by all means, try to appeal to their tastes too. Anything to add, Wayne? You seem to be all caught up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm afraid to speak because then I'll get cut out. <laughs> no, no, now you're you're stable. It's not so, jinx. So. Yeah. No. Um, I'm just I'm just listening, you know, because I'm I'm someone who plans on adding this to my business in a, a few years from now, um, and you know I. I I have friends that own a restaurant, so that's a good, uh, good in for me to talk to them about that. Um, but uh, I, I think a research is really, really important wherever uh, my new location will be um, to really find out what the people in that area want. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think the key to that success, uh, just like any other business, is uh, doing your research and finding out uh, what the right mix is. Because I mean. If I don't have to spend ten thousand dollars or more on a, a, an espresso machine, I will gladly not spend that. Um, you know, if people aren't going to appreciate it, so yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm listening and learning. And, and that is one of sorry, John. Sorry, go go ahead. That is one of the aspects of uh, having a cafe in your shop that you really need to consider is that you're building in, you're tearing out the walls, you're putting in a lot of wiring, you're putting a lot of money into infrastructure and you're paying for that yourself. So when it time comes time to think about moving, you've got this kind of anchor that you're kind of, you know, wait, I already spent this money on all this infrastructure. Do I really want to go back to square one and do it all over again and walk away from all this money that I invested? So well, there is... Sure, but I'm, I'm, I'd, be, I'd be moving to a new location and I might be able to find a location with a cafe already in it or something. I mean, that, that's, that's definitely a possibility. But I also have um, a, a pretty high ethical barrier. I mean, I don't want to just bring in uh, Coca-Cola products, for example. I got rid of Coca-Cola Pepsi products because those are big evil corporations, in my opinion. Uh, and I only, I only sell these ethically locally made uh fruit sparkling juices and uh a, 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 you know um this diet pop um that's also from a small company in and eth ethically produced and um so you know i that would be that would be hard for me to get past like i'd only want to serve um like ethical coffee for example mm -hmm. fair trade you know that that would be super important to me um and um you know the food uh, would have to be um, healthy, organic, uh, not just you know mass-made, um, factory-made, uh, pre-made food that I just heat up. Um, I want to use local bakeries, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, for me personally, that would be uh, that sounds like it'd be a lot more expensive, but it was it would be the only way that I would be able to do it and be happy about it and proud to offer that. And and when you do it, Wayne, you're going to be a success at it. Because you're passionate about it. And that's <laughs> the key requirement. It really sure. is. Yeah. As long yeah. as you can maintain that passion about it, your mm -hmm. quality is going to be good and people are going to appreciate it. And it's going to be difficult 
because you have to take that passion and convey, bring it on to the customer. There will be some customers that no matter what, what do you mean you don't have Coke, right? They, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's laudable what you're trying to do. I understand it. But in their eyes, you're a bad store because you don't carry Coke, just like I might be a bad store because I don't carry product Y or whatever not. You know what I mean? So uh, it, it, if you accept that you understand it, that's, that goes with the territory. I think you're okay, and, uh, and that's fine. So You will certainly never try to store. <laughs> so... Yeah. I, I think that you'll never win by trying to appeal to the least common denominator. You definitely want to, you know, appeal to, you know, the the demographics and the and the people that are going to be passionate about what you provide. And trying to water that down to just be um, trying to appeal to every single person that walks in the store just leads to blandness. You want to be passionate and give people the things that they want. Yeah, and you're going to stress yourself out because you can't make everybody happy. You can't. There's, you can do everything right, and someone will still walk out upset about something. And you know, you just have to accept that and be like, okay, well, they're not our customer, and there's a reason they're not our customer, and there's a reason why we do have our customers, and they prefer going to our shop because of X, Y, and Z reasons. So we, we do yeah. try to as accommodating as possible. But realistically speaking, you're correct. There are some people that can never potentially, they can never be your customers for whatever reasons, and you accept that, you move on, and. Hopefully they understand it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it can, I think most, can be most a, people do. Yeah. It can be a lot of fun trying to match your ideals to your business and really incorporating everything because then you do find those people that you really, uh, you really integrate with. You match personalities. Like you find the customer that's right for you while also at the same time repelling the customers that you, uh, you know, may not want in your business. Well, you're also you're also serving customers that may not have been served before, and that's mm-hmm. that's the really rewarding part is when you find a whole group of people, especially casual people, uh, that you're catering for that have that have never had a, a place like this for them. When I was growing up, game stores were generally terrible. They were you know, <laughs> run by you know, comic book guy who didn't yeah. you know care whether they ever cleaned and and uh, you know I would just when I got married, I took my wife into a game store and I was super excited to show her around to my hobby. And I saw it the first time through her eyes and went, Oh my gosh, this place is terrible. <laughs> it is so, funny what we, uh, what we put up with in the name of like the passion for our hobby. Yeah. So when we opened our store, that was our primary driving force is a place where you could bring your wife and your kids and be, you know, super comfortable and super happy coming in and, and playing. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, I wanted to ask a a hypothetical question, I suppose. But uh, you started your business as a game cafe. Like, so you you had the whole thing ready to go. It was part of the plan from the beginning. If somebody was running a game store, kind of like the way that, uh, say, Wayne is doing right now, like Mm -hmm. if they wanted to really add the the cafe portion and they really wanted to get into it, would it be better for them to, to... invest in the space and uh you know build out like like there's a lot to it right like you have to tear down a lot if you've already got an existing business or do you do what wayne was suggesting and uh like potentially find a location that's already kind of suitable to that kind of thing what's the best approach for somebody who's running a business right now and wants to add the food it can be a bit prohibitive to try and add a cafe to an existing running game store 
Uh, you're going to be eating, eating up a good amount of the floor. You're going to be generating a lot of dust. There's a lot of uh, build-out construction noise um, that's going to be a problem. But these aren't insurmountable problems. They're definitely things that, that can be done if handled correctly. Um, I would never say that you have to move to a new space to, uh, to do this and do it from scratch. Uh, this is something that can be added to an existing space if you plan it out correctly. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Or you just have a space that you can't do that. Like yeah. my space, I mean, my retail space is just over 900 square feet. Uh, zero space for doing that. Uh, and, uh, I mean, our game room was over four, well, it's 1400 square feet, but, uh, I mean, for me, it's, uh, my lease is over in three years. Right. And uh, I know that my landlords are chomping at the bit. It's a 10 year lease. They're chomping at the bit to like jack my rent up. So I, I know I'm not staying there. And, uh, that's why I'm, I'm waiting. It's sort of a three year plan for me to, to do the research, to prepare. And then when I look for the new place, uh, to find a place that's suitable, uh, either in size to add a kitchen or something that already has a kitchen. Because, I mean, there's, let's face it, restaurants go out of business all the time. So there's lots of vacant spaces for uh, for restaurants. Yeah. And uh, so for us, it was the perfect style. So the, the economics didn't seem to be there up until a few years ago. Uh, that's when the numbers started to make sense. But we were still under a seven-year lease. So... Uh, this was the perfect time with the lease expiring to find a place that can do both. One of the primary reasons for not staying in the space, even though the landlord was throwing literally everything he could at me as far as like stay here. I mean, we'll lower it down to ridiculous levels. The space was just shy of what we needed. We were about 1,500 square feet short and that 1,500 square feet was probably going to end up being the, the, the dry storage, the, the cafe part. And so for us, the decision to move had to happen because the current space just couldn't accommodate it. And it's, uh, you know, I think you have to look at it and I don't want to sound negative, but there is a cautionary tale here too. The, the, the restaurants, you're right, go out of business all the time. There's a reason behind that. It's a highly competitive environment. Mm -hmm. It's something you can fail at horribly. And the barrier to entry is considerably higher. You will invest a significant more amount. You will gamble, I should say, at this point much more of your personal assets, of your, your, your credit history, all this stuff to do this move. So it's something you want to consider fairly heavily. Now, in my case, I stand to lose a considerable amount of money if it doesn't go well. However, I still have the game store that is not changing. I mean, what we've done for 21 years, we're going to continue to do. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I have a certain assurance that, you know what, we've wasted a whole bunch of money. John just bought himself a really nice espresso machine, right? And it goes in my office, I guess. <laughs> It's John's personal coffee maker, uh, but uh, hopefully that's not it because I'm going to have to buy a lot of coffee to make it up, but uh, you guys get what I'm getting at. It's, there are higher risks, so it's nothing, while it is appealing and it is trendy, it's something to weigh and consider very, very heavily. If you're doing something well in your game store, you're doing it well, this is an extra risk and an extra right? um, staffing, all kinds of things to consider. Uh, I, I have some resistance from my staff on this move. They don't want to serve coffee. They don't want to be behind that counter. Um, which actually reminds me of one question I got to ask, Carrie, because who has asked? So health cards. Do you guys 
pay for them for them or do you do because we're thinking about doing half and half right splitting the cost with the employee as far as they can getting their health certification things like that uh i'm sorry you broke up a little you're asking about uh training for the employees not the training but the certification here we have to go through uh basically you have to get a health card if you're going to work anywhere near the food right kind of situation, which we're making a requirement for our staff because we foresee everybody having to be behind that machine at any point in time um so do you guys absorb the cost as a company um a lot of companies here in vegas is like if you don't have a health card i can't hire you kind of situation so you have to pay for it yourself and we were just wondering how you approach it well, our um, county does not require a uh, health card for the level of food and beverage that we're at. We are not doing any raw food. Um, we're only serving coffee and pre-prepared things and things like that. So it's not required. If it were, our company would probably have to absorb the cost of that. Finding employees who have food and beverage background and are passionate and able to sell games is actually a, a pretty big challenge. Um, we don't require that you have um, a cafe or restaurant background, uh, but it sure helps when it's on the resume. Um, so finding people who are, who are able to do that, um, we would not be able to find people who had that certification and were able to work in a cafe and had game experience and passion about mm -hmm. games in order to sell them. We've found over and over that hiring food and beverage people and then trying to give them a passion about games is a, is a failure. We have to go the other way. We have to hire people who are already passionate about games and can speak coherently about them and sell yes. them and then teach them food and beverage. And in that sense, I think it's a regional thing because we're definitely lucky here that we have a lot of people that have that combination, they, again, like I said, they get off work and they come to the store because it's their hobby. So I do get a lot of uh, crossover, but uh, we're also, the question came up because literally here, it is a requirement, coffee included, uh, to have this health card. And uh, mm -hmm. most most people tend to have one around here because of the employment opportunity that it offers. So we're just curious. You yeah, are going to find a lot of people that do have a lot of food and beverage experience. I mean, a lot of college kids have worked in the cafeteria. A lot of people's first job is in is in restaurants. We have people that have you know managed Barnes and Noble cafes. We have uh, people that you know worked in the family restaurant. Um, so when it comes to food and beverage, you are asking your employees. I, I often ask uh, you are asking. Um, your customers, I ask my employees because they often have more experience with the nuts and bolts of how this stuff is done than I do. And John, I just wanted to speak to your point that some of your staff don't want to be, start serving coffee. I totally get that. Like being a server in a restaurant, that's a rough gig. A lot of people would not want to do that. I know, I know, I don't think any of my guys would want to go from just selling games where they're passionate about to have to do like the serving of the coffee. Um, and uh, my idea um, has always been uh, that the cafe area would be separate. Like there would be, I'd be hiring people for just that, like someone that's in charge and then however employees they need to, to run it um, as, as almost like um, a second business within the business. That's sort of how I, I, my vision is taking form um, because I want the people who know that to be really good at it and um, and when people come up to the cafe section, that's they're going to that section where they're coming up to trade cards 
and buy games, they're going to another counter. So that's kind of how I envision it. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what like the haunted cafe place looks like. I, I the the tricky part with that is that and if you make your cafe part a completely separate business that's always staffed with dedicated, you know, short order cooks and, and managers and things like that, then you're you're going to need that cafe to do as much business as a regular restaurant um, because they now have the labor overhead for that, which it can. The problem for a lot of game stores is that we are in locations that are not as high volume as restaurants. Restaurants need to be on the main street, especially coffee shops. Gosh, if you're not on the main street with easy to get into parking lot, easy to get out, you are just not going to get the amount of volume that it needs. And coffee needs a lot of volume to pay for itself. And game stores tend to be destination places. We're a little bit more hidden. We're in larger spaces that are harder to get in and out of. So that's why we require that our employees be able to do double duty on everything. I'm not saying that's that's the way it has to be. I've seen plenty of places that are, you know, a cafe on one side and a and a game store on the other, and they're two independent businesses with a pass through in between, and it works beautifully for them. Yeah, well, I mean, it, um, like what I where I've seen this and I've seen it work well is like gas stations. Like you go into a gas station, you pay for your gas. There's a cashier on on one side, and then they have like a little donut shop in there as well that serves coffee, and that's a different kiosk. So, um, you know, it, it would it would look like the same business, but it would just be staffed independently. If you know what sure. I mean, and then- I, I wouldn't expect my guys making coffee to be board game experts. See, I, I hope that it pans out that way. In other words, I have so much business that I have to worry about staffing the cafe independently. But what I actually foresee happening is a, it's an ebb and flow. There will be times where, I mean, I'm making money, I'm selling games, but there's nobody in the store, right? I mean, it's 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. Uh, people are coming in, buying their stuff and leaving. The gamers come in at 5, and that's when they're plopping themselves down. So I kind of predicted what will happen is there will be certain times. I guarantee you Saturday that cafe will start opening to close kind of situation. However, I kind of expect that on a given Tuesday, somebody's at the cash register and somebody wants a cup of coffee, they're doing double duty. And that's what I see as the likely scenario for me. I'm hoping I'm wrong. And all of a sudden we're making so much volume and so much money that I have to worry about like, now I got to go find a guy that just does coffee. That's all he's doing. Awesome. One of the big things I'm concerned about is, um, is if we expand having people that are on one side doing nothing and the other side getting slammed or it's kind of an, you know, it's a, it's a way for your less good employees to kind of hide. Um, and it's going to frustrate the heck out of your good employees because they're over there where there's nobody. And the other side is where all the action is and that's where they want to be. So I'm, I'm more than a little concerned about making sure that we get a balance between the two. Yeah, and it, it, they're adjusting, they're understanding. They get also that, uh, well, extra revenue means extra income for them. Uh, we do give back. I mean, there is no doubt about it. If we're going to make more money, it's going to end up in their pockets too. So, And there is a, there's a, a not insignificant amount of employee bonuses that go with this. You know, having food and beverage available to the employees is a, can be a nice bonus. A lot of them really appreciate the fact that they can get you know, as much food and drink as they, as they want. Do you offer them anything uh, special? Like a, uh, we, like as uh, added benefits kind of thing? 
We absolutely do. We want our employees tasting the espresso and tasting the drinks to make sure that everything is right. So we actually don't put a limit on the number of, uh, of free drinks that we allow our employees. Uh, we do put some limit on the amount of food That's that they can have. That'd That's, be bad for me. That, <laughs> a lot of and coffee. The, and the worst offender is is me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's the other thing to consider too is I'm going to have to work that treadmill a heck of a lot more. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, so not only did you give me nightmares for a week, now you're putting ideas in my employees' heads. I, we should cut this short, Thomas, because this is expensive. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. I actually used to sell uh, chocolate bars. In, in my original location, just had a rack of snacks and oh my God, I need a couple a day and uh, I'm yeah. so happy I don't carry those anymore. <laughs> yeah, self-discipline, right? It's, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, does well, anyone I, have any other questions? Like we've, uh, I think we've explored the topic pretty well. I think it was a, a great show. I, I would just like to say that I, I absolutely love doing business this way. Yes, it is a it can be a pain because you really are running two businesses. So a lot of the times I just plain run out of time for being able to do my job because I'm I'm running two businesses at the same time. But I can't imagine doing it any other way. Uh, our our customers love it. Our employees love it. I love coming into the shop every day and having that smell of coffee and and sitting and playing games uh, in that atmosphere, I, I, I love it. Yeah. And I'm super excited about the possibilities. I'm really hoping it pans out. Uh, it's, a, it's a unique time where finally everything is lining up, the economics of it, uh, the popularity of coffee. Everything seems to be pointing to this is the right move to do. Uh, you know, it's staggering. It's scary. I mean, uh, we were talking earlier, Wayne was looking at pictures of the store, what's going on in there right now. I, I, Literally, I have not gotten a lot of sleep in the past three or four weeks since the demolition started. So it's scary stuff, but uh, every time I look at it and look at the possibilities, it's invigorating. It's challenge. It's, it's yes, I am hoping to be where you are, Gary, in a couple of years, and just go, man, why didn't I do this? So, yeah. Do you have so anything? Final thoughts. Final thoughts. <laughs> final thoughts. Um, well, I, uh, as someone who wants to eventually do this in a few years, I think I've learned a lot from uh, talking to you guys. I appreciate everything you've shared. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? We're supposed to legalize marijuana next year, so maybe it'll turn into uh, a vapor lounge game cafe. <laughs> well, I live in Colorado, so we're very familiar with that. Right. Sure. Yeah. Have you thought about uh, getting into that at all or the green economy? I have yeah. thought about it. My store is in Colorado where it is legal. Uh, so we yeah. have, you know, had a, a couple of conversations with it. It, it comes back to the same thing as alcohol. It's the, it's the experience. It's the look and feel. Um, it's, sure. it's not something that we think our casual customers are going to be okay with. And, uh, we want to yeah. appeal to as many people as we can. And things might change in yeah. five, 10 years as, as it becomes more of a custom thing. I understand. My barrier with that would be, in general, and I don't know because I'm not a connoisseur or anything like that. But uh, it again, we go back to the smell and what what it would do to the environment, right? Kind of situation. So um, appealing to some, negative to others, it's so hard to. You can't please everybody, and, and Wayne, by all means, uh, you know, I, yeah, I you think can be the first. That's pretty about. cool. Yeah, you got to revise that business plan now. So before you move out of that, right? <laughs> we're in that. We talked about the last episode. So. Yeah. Sure. Well, it might just be like a, a vape night, just like I'm, I'm, I was suggesting a keg night. Sure. You know? yeah. 
Yeah, start hmm. small. Test out. Place the patio. <laughs> We're next door to a vape shop, so there might be a possibility that we could, you know, try an experimental night like you guys were suggesting and, and see how people like it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Or sponsor a game event in the vape shop. Do some cross right. promo. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think we had a, a great conversation and I uh, really appreciate Gary also taking the time out of his day to come and talk to us. Thanks a lot. Well, uh, it's my pleasure. It was a good time. Thanks, uh, yeah. yeah. Good to talk to you. Yeah. If uh, everyone's satisfied with their closing thoughts, I think uh, this is a, a great way to wrap up the show. The only thing I would say, if anybody has any questions, like always, you know, make sure you get a hold of us. We're easily to reach on Facebook, our respective websites for the stores. The Google search should be able to find the Haunted Game Cafe, Little Shop of Magic, or Dueling Grounds. Thomas, I'm sure you're going to put links on Absolutely. everything for the show. So uh, we, we're happy to ask any question and answer them. And uh, me and Gary keep in touch pretty often. So if you have questions for Gary, you can also send them to us and we'll definitely pass them along. And maybe have you back whenever you want, Gary. It's always a pleasure talking to you. So. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate your uh, high quality audio. It was, it was quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Sweet baritone. Soon. Okay. Well, it's, it's first thing in the morning for me, so it's very low. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. We will talk to you soon, next yep. time. Cool. Next good, time. Good. good to see you, John. Uh, I, as always, if I can, uh, if I can uh, help you out in any way. Uh, Wayne, it was super nice meeting you. Yeah, you too, Gary. It was a pleasure. Yeah. If I can help you out in any way, please let me know. All right, that's it for this episode of the Metaverse Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that show. I want to thank John Coviello, Little Shop of Magic in Vegas, Wayne Middlestead, Dueling Grounds in Toronto, and our special guest today, Gary Sproul. I especially want to thank him. And if you want to go check out Gary and what he's working on, and I definitely recommend you do, you should go to hauntedgamecafe.com in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you have a chance, go see him in person, because this guy's game store will knock your socks off and if you want to get some uh, some nice coffee drinks i'm sure gary would be happy to serve you one now if you like the podcast i recommend and i would love for you to do so to become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash maniverse podcast and like every other youtuber and podcaster i want you to do three things for me i want you to share this podcast with your uh, your magic buds or your gamer buds, or anyone you think who would uh, who'd appreciate some of this some of this info. I want you to like the show if you're uh, checking this out on YouTube, and I want you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on YouTube. All those things would be great. Any one of those things in isolation would also be great. I'd appreciate it. Either way, any one of those things that you do, I will love you forever. And if you want to get some more information about how to run a game store, you want to learn some new tricks, some new tips, go to ManiverseSaga.com for more content and episodes of the Maniverse Podcast. There you can find all kinds of great episodes. We're up to episode 46, so we're coming up on the big 5-0 soon. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for sticking around all the way to the end, because I know how easy it is to just duck out at the, uh, the last call on the interview. So if you're still listening to this, you're one of the cool people. Thanks. 
I will see you next episode of the Manaverse Podcast. This is Tom Traplin signing out. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. Have a good morning. Whatever it happens to be for you, I hope it's awesome. Later.